Julia Gerlach, Managing Editor of No-Till Farmer. Welcome to the No-Till Farmer podcast series brought to you today by Pivot Bio. I encourage you to subscribe to the series, which is available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Subscribing will allow you to receive an alert about new episodes when they're released. I'd like to take a moment to thank Pivot Bio for sponsoring today's episode. It's time to rethink nitrogen. Pivot Bio Proven replaces nitrogen fertilizer with microbes that adhere to the crop's root system and apply nitrogen each day. 2019 performance report data shows Pivot Bio Proven consistently outperforms synthetic nitrogen fertilizer year over year, providing corn growers improved yields and a more dependable nitrogen supply that isn't lost to the environment. To read the performance report, go to pivotbio.com. For more information on Pivot Bio Proven, text PROVEN to 31313. The soil microbiome is a growing field of study that offers a lot of promise for making discoveries that can truly impact crop growth and farm management. Trace Genomics is a new company that has developed a proprietary soil DNA test that produces insights into soil microbes and bacteria unlike any other tests that are available today. Purnima Parmeswaran is a co-founder of Trace Genomics. With a PhD in microbiology from Stanford University, she's pioneered the use of genomic technologies to address fundamental questions about microbial diseases. After completing her PhD, she set about applying her knowledge to the world of soil. In this episode of the No-Till Farmer podcast series, we'll hear from Purnima, who explains what trace genomic soil test is able to analyze and how it can help farmers and agronomists target inputs and better understand the variables that affect crop health and yields. So Purnima, why don't you tell me about your background and how you got interested in studying soils? Sure. Every time I think about soil, it's this living, breathing entity, and it's an extension of the plant. And in a lot of ways, it's that soil plant ecosystem. Soil is an extension of the immune system of the plant. It's an extension of the food providing capabilities for the plants. There's just so much aliveness and richness in soil, as your listeners are also very much aware, and as they appreciate it a lot too. For me, what fascinates me about soil is the fact that there is so much known, yet so much unknown mm-hmm. about what makes soil function in all of these different ways, whether it's for supporting plants, whether it's for supporting our general planetary health, our human health, you know, it functions in all of these different capacities. And that molecular piece, like going all the way down to the molecule and molecular information, the DNA in the soil, that's really what my entire scientific career has been built off of. Ever since I was 14, I was fascinated by what's in our molecules that makes us react act or behave in a certain way or respond a certain way to all of these stimuli. And when I say our, I use it in a very universal manner. It could be humans, it could be ecosystems, um, the soil. What makes it respond in a specific way? What makes it function in a specific way? And so I did my undergrad in molecular biology, no surprises there, (laughs) at UT Austin, and got fascinated with the world of microbes took a couple of courses in undergrad and landed up at Stanford to do a PhD in microbiology. And this was in 2004. And right around 2005, 2006 was the time when the genomics revolution happened. 
it was the time when genomic sequencing, it just got upped a notch. All of this high throughput generation of DNA sequences, again, going all the way down to the molecular level, it was changing. It came to Stanford and it started making a lot of waves in terms of the opportunities for using this DNA information to change the way in which we understand the world around us, Mm -hmm. starting with human medicine, the gut microbiome. What is it about personalized cancer, like personalized therapies for cancers, cancer diagnostics, all of these opportunities could be unlocked through looking at the DNA in us, in cancers, in our gut microbiome. And so I actually worked very much on that first generation of sequencers because sequencing was here, but there was a big problem. Right? And the problem was it was so expensive, too expensive. Oh. It cost around $20,000 to sequence eight samples, just phenomenally expensive. Mm-hmm. So my very first project was really focused around how can you bring down the cost of sequencing mm-hmm. so that you can make it more accessible. So instead of sequencing eight samples, we actually publish on a technology that allows you to sample sequence over 4,000 samples for that same price tag. And so that really opens up all of these different opportunities and these applications for how DNA sequencing can be used to study the world around us. And just following down that path, fast forward 2010, got this itch to how can we use this DNA sequence information that we're creating from all these samples to impact decisions in the world. The way in which people make decisions around DNA sequence information, it was becoming nascent. You're seeing, and it's a whole confluence of factors that really led me to soil. One is it's changing up the way in which human medicine, human genomics is being done. Nobody was really using it at that level of the scale to look at soil, to understand what's in soil. And so there was like that factor. The second factor really comes back to what I started with, which is soil is this living, breathing entity. There's so much known, yet there's so much unknown about the soil. Oh my gosh, it's just so rich in terms of information, right? And so that was like another big draw. The third draw that actually really pulled me and my co-founder into starting Trace was what we heard from the field at the farm gate. When we went and talked to farmers, this was mostly in California, we spent probably three to four days a week just driving to Salinas, which is the lettuce bowl of the U.S., or to Napa, Sonoma, the Great Valley of the U.S. And every farmer we talked to said the same thing. We have so much information about ground. We know nothing about our soils. And with all of these regulations that are coming in, methyl bromide was going away at that time. Really, really need information about the soil to help us understand our risks and to help us farm better. And that's what sold us, and that's why we started Trace. Okay. So you guys at Trace Genomics talk about mapping the living soil. So what does that mean really for farmers and agronomists? What is your ultimate goal at Trace Genomics? Sure. The ultimate goal at Trace is how can we unlock the power of soil to advance agriculture? And this includes the key stakeholders in agriculture, like everyone who wants to know something about soil, whether it's academics, whether it's farmers and their agronomists, whether it's other research scientists or key stakeholders and product companies that are making inputs for the soil or making genetics seeds to be put into soil. This information about soil is so fundamental to everyone in agriculture. One of the big problems that we're solving is really being able to integrate all of this information about soil. Soil has chemistry, chemical properties, physical properties, biological properties associated with it. Until now, the industry has mostly had access 
to soil chemistry profiles or soil physical profiles to a certain extent. I'm still very limited knowledge there. And that's where, you know, we really see an opportunity to come in with a more holistic view of soil intelligence, really integrating biology okay. into this picture, because every tablespoon of soil contains millions, if not billions of microbes in it. These microbes can be good for the plants, so they can help to make nutrients like fertilizers more available to plants and really boost fertility. These microbes can also boost plant immunity to diseases, so can be disease suppressive. And there are obviously microbes that are bad for plants that cause diseases in plants. Until now, because technology was not here at scale in an affordable, timely manner to be able to deliver this information back at the farm gate, this biological information going all the way to the DNA of the soil was not available before. And at Trace, we're making that available at the farm gate. So farmers and their agronomists can then look at profiles of soil chemistry in addition to this full workup of soil biology where they're understanding what are the top disease-causing organisms in my soil for my crop of interest? If I'm planting cotton, what are those top eight to 10 organisms that matter for cotton? Or if I'm planting strawberries, it's a different set of eight disease-causing organisms. What do those risks look like? And what are the profiles of beneficials? For example, phosphorus-solubilizing microbes, Mm -hmm. right? The ones that make phosphorus available to plants. What does the um, profile look like of nitrifiers in the soil? Hmm. The ones that you want to keep tabs on in case you're thinking about adding nitrification inhibitors, for example. Mm -hmm. And so there's all of these different management practices and products that you can make optimal decisions on based off of this profile. It's essentially a diagnostic test for your soil. It's like an annual wellness checkup for your soil. Yeah. So... Can you just go a little deeper into that so a farmer or an agronomist could understand what's the recommendation going to be when they get a DNA profile done? Yeah, so that's a key distinction in terms of what we do and where we partner with and work very closely with our customers. So what Trace Genomics is and what we are, we're really experts on the soil. So what does the soil look like from a chemical property, from a biological property? The recommendations are really based off of what the farmer and the agronomist already know that they want to implement. So let me just walk you through this process of you know what indicators we provide and what decisions can be made off of it. Take a soybean farmer who wants to understand what are the risks in their fields, what are the top agronomic risks that they need to be on top of across, say, 10 fields that they're farming. And those 10 fields, 80 acres on average, they may be doing grid-based or zone-based management of those fields. Based on those grids or zones, they've already been doing soil testing for chemistry for once every three to four years. So they do that grid zone-based sampling. They send those samples into trace. We do a full workup of those soil samples to create both a chemistry and a biology profile that we then give them reports, diagnostic reports through our web portal. And this is where our agronomists can sit down with the farmer's agronomists to really have a conversation. And so our agronomists can talk to them with that diagnostic test and say, hey, you know what, in fields A, B, and C, you have low risk of SDS. But in the other fields, 
you have high levels of microbes that can cause sudden soybean death syndrome. So this is a real risk factor for you. And these are some of the ways in which you've already been thinking about it. For example, some farmers may choose to not even plant soybean. If the risk is high enough, they may decide to choose to rotate to corn. Or they might decide to come in with a variety that is more resistant to the disease, and whether it's white mold or sudden soybean death or any of the other diseases that are at high risk on that field. Or they might choose to come in with a seed treatment, budget in a seed treatment that can help protect against that disease. And so there's a lot of these different management practices that they can tweak based off of a disease risk profile that they would get on their fields before, so this is in like fall or before planting or before management season begins. On the other side, when you look at the beneficials, the fertilizer, the chemistry, folks already know what to do. Mm -hmm. NPK, (laughs) you know, you can add all of these fertilizers based on whether it's high or low, et cetera. The beneficials like phosphorus solubilizers, like nitrifiers, et cetera, those are profiles that we provide on our report where there's all this buzz around, for example, what do cover crops do? What does soil rotation do? Why do people rotate, right? Corn and soy, corn and soy. There are nitrogen fixers in soy, Mm -hmm. for example, that really get added to the soil when you plant that crop. And with cover crops too, you're similarly, the goal is to foster the growth of beneficial organisms in the soil to put back carbon in the soil. And so there's a lot of these beneficial properties that our farmers are already doing and implementing on farms. How do you know that it's moving the needle in the right direction, right? Like you need that science, that data on your soil to really help you understand if that cover crop mix you put on your soil is the right mix, Mm -hmm. is it moving the needle in the right direction? So that's another set of use cases where our customers do testing before and after application of products or before and after cover cropping or other management practices to really understand if they're moving the needle in the right direction from a soil beneficial standpoint. Okay. So my impression is the microbiome is a fairly dynamic environment, sort of changing all the time based on climate and weather and plants and all of that. So if the microbial populations are so dynamic, how can you really create an accurate map Yeah, you're absolutely right in that the microbiome is very dynamic in nature. And what we have seen at Trace is the biggest shift in the microbiome happens when you put a seed in the ground. Okay. And so every time we put a crop in the ground, we're changing the soil, we're changing the way in which soil is functioning and supporting that crop and the crops that follow. And so yes, absolutely true that the microbiome is very dynamic. What we are providing with a soil map is really a snapshot in time. So it's a digital fingerprint, it's a snapshot in time. And using this snapshot, there's two ways that we can use the snapshot actually of many. One is to diagnose. So looking back at what happened the previous season, Mm -hmm. if you were to compare, for example, high and low production zones and everything else above ground doesn't explain why you're seeing those differences in production, using the snapshot in time can still provide a diagnostic, maybe there are indicators in the soil that you should be considering in terms of fixing to move your low production zone into a high production zone. Or maybe there are no differences in your soil. And so you don't need to worry about this. Go focus on something else to fix your low production zones. So either way, it provides a really important data point. 
point to help you understand why there's those production differences. The other is really looking forward, right? The way in which we're currently making decisions in terms of what to plant, what inputs to budget for, what inputs to buy is really based off of historical data or it's based off of art, right? Mm -hmm. It's an art right now. That's the best way to say it. And so how can we help our farmers and their agronomists move from an art to a science-driven approach to a data-driven approach where they're actually measuring what's in the soil before making these decisions on what to plant? Yes, their limitation is that it is a snapshot, but it still provides a ton more data for them to make a lot of these decisions in a confident manner. So it's all about what confidence can we give them in terms of how they can use this information to optimize their spend. And so when would a farmer be doing a test like this? So typically, our recommendation would be yearly. That often does not dovetail well with a lot of the timelines for sampling, right? And what I mean by that is typically a farmer samples a third to a quarter of their grounds every year. And so there is this once every three years, once every four years sampling regimen or protocol that's already in place. And so we plug and play into that uh, for farmers to make it really easy for them so they don't have to change up the way in which they're doing the sampling. And as farmers use this information, I'm a lot more used to seeing the benefits of optimization of their decisions and their spend, their scouting efforts, you know, all of those That's really where the whole industry will really move more towards an annualized or even every crop or even in the middle of a crop to make very quick turnaround decisions. As we learn more about the soil, I think that's really where the entire industry is going to evolve. Okay. Now, I want to just circle back to the whole pathogen thing that you were talking about. How many different pathogen bacteria or microbes are you testing for? How many different things can you identify in your testing? answer to that is really a mix of what do we know about soil (laughs) and um, what are our customers wanting. And what I mean by that is when we look at the soil, we as in like the whole scientist community, the industry community has information about pathogens that are already known to cause diseases. And those DNA sequences are already known. They've been published. There's a lot known about what the levels are. If you find a specific level of this particular pathogen for this crop, you will see disease in that crop type of correlation. And those genome sequences are already known. And so what we do at Trace is we pull in those DNA sequences into what we call our reference database, make sure that those sequences are clean. Because sometimes these sequences, even with the best intention, can sometimes contain contaminants, like contaminant DNA sequences in them that are not from that particular pathogen. So we do a lot of QC on the back end to make sure that the DNA sequences for specific pathogens are clean, are representative of what they should be, et cetera. And so, yeah, so we have a whole set of computational efforts around what pathogens are known to cause disease to really make sure that we're querying or we're looking for those pathogens for those uh, particular crops. Now, there are some diseases that are emerging for which pathogen DNA sequences are not known. Like they haven't been sequenced. There has not been funding directed towards that, for example, in scientific institutions. And so what we have done there, if there is a large economic benefit to our customers in terms of us actually going in and furthering our knowledge about the DNA sequence, then we actually 
go in, sequence that pathogen's DNA, add it to our reference database, and then roll out a diagnostic test. So we did this, for example, fusarium wilt for a lettuce. This was back in 2016, 2017. We went in, worked very closely with an academic researcher who had isolates from the field, sequenced the DNA of that pathogen, added it to our database, and then rolled out a diagnostic test for fusarium wilt. We'll get back to my conversation with Purnima Parmaswaran in a moment, but I want to take time once again to thank our sponsor, Pivot Bio, for supporting today's episode. It's time to rethink nitrogen. Pivot Bio Proven replaces nitrogen fertilizer with microbes that adhere to the crop's root system and apply nitrogen each day. 2019 performance report data shows Pivot Bio Proven consistently outperforms synthetic nitrogen fertilizer year over year providing corn growers improved yields and a more dependable nitrogen supply that isn't lost to the environment. To read the performance report, go to pivotbio.com. For more information on Pivot Bio Proven, text PROVEN to 31313. Now let's get back to Purnima Parmaswaran as she gives an example of recommendations that Trace Genomics is able to give based on biological indicators in the soil. Can you maybe talk a little bit about maybe a specific example of maybe a nutrient recommendation or tweak that you were able to make based on some of what you've done? Sure. There's actually many, many cases. Just to highlight one is the Schwagerts. They're a family that farms and we've been working very closely with them for two seasons now. Mm-hmm. And they came to us, they wanted to look across a couple of fields and especially this one field was very interesting from the perspective of production differences, yield differences that they were seeing. And there was some historical differences in the way in which the field had been managed, like half of it had been managed differently than the other half a couple of years ago. And then now they're managing everything the same way. And so, but they're still seeing these yield differences. And so they wanted to ask, what about the soil is contributing to these yield differences? And what we found was really that there are differences in the biology of the soil, especially around microbes that make phosphorus available to plants that provide soluble phosphorus to plants. And those differences do correlate with yield differences. And so now they're going in and testing out a couple of different phosphorus management practices, banding phosphorus fertilizer, for example, testing different rates, adding biologicals, et cetera, to see if any of that can really help move that phosphorus solubilizer indicator upwards. And if any of those management practices can then help to recover yield. So that's one example of Mm -hmm. way in which we have helped diagnose what are the biological indicators that should be considered for management in order to help recover yield. Okay. So this really sounds very different than your standard soil test. I mean, sort of the traditional soil tests are doing mostly the chemical and the biological, but are you doing any of those more standard microbial tests that some of the other labs are doing, the PLFA or the CO2 burst, anything like that? Is that part of your regimen or not really? No, we're currently not doing those tests. My view on it is that we're actually very synergistic with a lot of those labs and those tests that are being done. The difference between what we do and some of the PLFA assays and the CO2 assays is we create data at a much higher, deeper resolution Hmm. than any of those assays do. We create, for example, millions of DNA sequences from Hmm. every soil sample that comes into our labs. And 
that digital fingerprint lives on for posterity. And that's actually great for our customers because as we release new indicators, we can go back in time and actually release the new indicators. We can compute them for samples that were maybe sent in five years ago and release those to our customers. And the beauty of this is that customers can track and follow some of the newer properties of soil as we learn about soil, even without having to send in soil samples. Like you can go back and see what their data looked like from years ago. The other benefit to this is when we think about diseases and new emerging diseases, for example, many of those diseases have possibly been lurking in soils for a while, but there's something about the environment or something about the genetics of the seed or something about the management practice that provides this perfect storm, this perfect opportunity for this pathogen to cause disease, right? And the question has always been, where does this disease come from? Mm -hmm. And there's so many instances of this, like even starting with potato blight in Ireland, right? Where did it come from? Mm -hmm. How did it spread so fast? Was it already present in our soil? And if we had this technology and if we had this data available to us, it would have been as easy as understanding what the DNA sequence of the pathogen is, and then going back in time to ask that question that customers will want to know, was it always in my soil? Mm -hmm. Can you tell me if it was always in my soil? And so we can help our customers answer that question. Okay. So is this where the artificial intelligence fits in? Because you guys are using AI, I understand, to help sequence or to help generate the data? Yeah, so there are different ways. When we think about what can we do with data, there are computational algorithms that we run on the data, which is not AI. It's more looking at, for example, this DNA sequence. I have millions of DNA sequences. Which organism did it come from? And which organism does it map to? Hmm. What gene does it map to? And what is that quantity? There's a lot of computational algorithms that we run in the cloud that we have parallelized to for scale. So we can run, whether it's one sample or hundred of samples, it takes a matter of minutes for uh -huh. us to do that mapping for millions of sequences, which is also a technological feat. And we can do that at Trace really well. There's also um, a component here of just simple stats, right? Like comparing high and low production fields for some of these indicators. You can use simple stats to come up with what are some of the top indicators that matter for a farmer, for mm -hmm. a customer to really stay on top of. There could be some simple stats that go into that. Where ML and some of the more advanced algorithms and techniques come in is really in understanding what are those networks in soil and how do they tie in with high versus low production zones and what can we learn about DNA that we have no idea where it came from, like who it came from, because we only know, according to some measurements, anywhere between 1% to 10% of microbes in the soil are known. Right. So there's this entire bottom of the iceberg that we don't know about. And that's really where a lot of these AI ML algorithms can really help us understand and further our knowledge about what we don't know about the soil, all of those millions of sequences that we know nothing about, like that's where there's a lot, there's a treasure trove waiting to be discovered okay. using AI and ML. I see, okay. And just to clarify, you're not giving farmers and agronomists a million data points. You're boiling this down into some sort of useful, something that's not gonna be completely overwhelming. 
Absolutely. <laughs> and that's been a really important part of our mission at Trace is how can you make this data actionable, insightful, and delivering value for our customers. And part of that journey for us is it's always going to be how can we make this data more consumable, easily consumable, and how can we push out insights at all parts of the season, not just when they take the sample, right? Like even in the middle of the season, if we, for example, identify high white molds risk in certain fields, that information is as important for the farmer to know in fall as it is for them during the growing season when they're deciding how to budget spraying, where to spray, where to scout. It's really important for them to have this information about disease in front of them, right? And uh, absolutely, Julia, right, that uh, you know we think about the data that we're creating, all these millions of data points is not what our customer sees. Mm-hmm. It's really just those indicators that are important for their crops, so like not all crops, because we actually have create information on hundreds of indicators across dozens of crops, but we have on our web portal, pull down menus, ability for our customers to say, hey, I just want to look only for cotton, only for soybean, only for lettuce or leafy greens. Mm-hmm. They have the ability to really filter and focus in on the pathogens and the beneficials that matter for their crop. And then the same thing goes for the soil chemistries. That's obviously people are more familiar with that. The pH, organic matter, CEC, the nitrates, the phosphate measurements, etc. Those are also only the indicators that you know you can do something about them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And so one big bugaboo in the soil testing environment has always been time. So farmers sometimes complain that that soil testing results come back too slowly to actually make a difference. It's not actionable by the time they get their results back. But you say your testing is very fast. So can you talk about that? Yeah, the way in which we do our testing, the time factor, it's really at harvest or at pre-plant. So it's not during the season yet. When I say very fast, it's really relative. (laughs) The soil chemistry tests are on the same timeline that uh, customers are used to seeing, which is less than than a week turnaround time, a couple days turnaround time. We offer that for our customers. The soil biology pieces, like the microbiome of the soil, when I was a graduate student, even now in academic labs, it takes six months to a year to like really take a look to collect to analyze to really make these correlations in terms of what the microbiome data is telling you it takes a long time a couple months at the very least to be able to make something out of your microbiome data a trace we can do it within a matter of weeks because we have set up a lot of these computational infrastructure in the cloud and this is really where timing matters in terms of when the farmer and the agronomist is doing the test at the farm gate, right? If they want results for diagnostics in three days because, or maybe two days because they need to decide whether to spray or not, we're not the right test for that. But if they really want to understand what is in their soil from a disease and a beneficial standpoint so that they can make the right decisions for placing orders for inputs, for making their management plan for the year, for maybe tweaking in spring, they might want to tweak, do some last minute changes to their management plans or planting schedules. Those are all the benefit from a couple week turnaround time. And that's a timeline that works really well to align what we can do today and what the customer really wants to see and what what the action the customer wants to take. Okay. And then I also was wondering, soil pathogens have historically been analyzed with the polymerase chain reaction tests, PCR tests. Is that the basis of the trace genomics DNA tests or are you doing something else? 
you know, we're doing something different. Mm-hmm. So polymerase chain reaction, I'd say, is a way to amplify the DNA in oh, the soil. Okay. So you're making many, many different copies of that DNA in the soil, and you're t- getting it to a level where you can detect it using an instrument. I'd say a lot of DNA-based diagnostic tests use that process. And the big difference between what a PCR test does and what we do is that for a PCR-based assay or diagnostic, you are looking very specifically for one or a handful of pathogens. You already know that, look, I want to look at sudden soybean death, charcoal, fraud, and white mold. And so I'm going to look very specifically for just that pathogen that causes SDS, that causes charcoal rot, that causes white mold. What we're doing is really taking a step back, taking a 10,000 foot overview of the soil and asking the question, who is there and in what quantities? And that allows us to get a really good representation of basically most of the bacterial and fungal species that are in the soil without specifically asking or querying for one or three or five pathogens. Like we're actually able to get information on tens of thousands of organisms and at multiple levels too, right? Like it's not just about who's there. So it's also about what are they doing? Looking at that gene functionality, right? Like are they solubilizing phosphorus? Are they nitrifiers? Are they denitrifiers? Are they nitrogen fixers? Like so there's a lot of questions that you can ask once you digitize the entire DNA of the soil sample. Mm-hmm. So that's the biggest difference between a PCR-based test and what we do. And so now, have you been able to identify any common characteristics of soils based on tillage practices, like how no-till soils are different than tilled soils, and then also in terms of common characteristics based on cover crop usage? Yeah, I'd say where we are at with that is there are differences. <laughs> there are actually a lot of differences. Uh-huh. And you can use this information in different ways, right? You can use this information to say, yeah, of course, that tells you that the soil microbiome is so dynamic and it's so different that we'll never really quite understand the soil microbiome ever. Or you could take this to say, you know what? Every piece of land is unique. And just by saying, I'm going to be checking the box on cover cropping, I'm going to be checking the box on till, so I must be doing everything right to get a really good yield out of this piece of ground. That's not the right philosophy either, right? Because you have to understand what is in your soil first and then understand how all of these different practices are really moving that science, that data that the soil is measuring in your soil to actually make a personalized management plan for that plot of ground. And that's really where we can help our customers not just check the box and then assume that it will result in increased yield or an increased soil health, but we can really provide the science and data where they can have confidence that they're choosing the right mix of cover crops or they're choosing the right timing for for some of these management practices. Timing's actually been really interesting because I think what we're hearing from our customers is that where science and data about the soil, when I say we, it's really what what is the science and data telling you? It's not just trace. It's like, what is the science and data of your soil telling you? It's upending a lot of hypotheses that they had previously about when is disease risk high? When do you treat? When is the optimal time to treat? And so these are all questions that farmers and agronomists have been asking, but never had the tools to really ground truth in an economically feasible manner. And we're allowing them to do that now, which allows them to think about all of these practices that we know are beneficial for the soil 
cover cropping, till no-till, you know, all of these practices. But how do you optimize those practices so that you are personalizing that suite of tools for your land to move both soil health and production in the right direction? That's where the soil and data can be extremely helpful to measure and track and verify. Okay, great. Okay, so Trace Genomics has a facility in Ames, Iowa. You mentioned that. You acquired that from Winfield United, I believe, not too long ago. I'm assuming that's where you're doing the actual testing. Is that right? Yes, we are. The reason we acquired the assets of Solom from Winfield was really to expand the type of intelligence that we provide on soil. Before we acquired the assets from Solom, we were providing intelligence on just the biological properties of soil. Now with the Solom acquisition, we have added on soil chemistry testing, a full suite of soil chemistry testing to our offerings and there's a lot of insights that we create for our customers at this intersection of chemistry and biology and we're the only lab doing that there's no other lab that's doing that i can say that with confidence and the Ames facility also obviously puts us closer to a lot of our farmers in the midwest sure. and the we're serving performance soy the facility is about 10,000 square feet or so. Okay. We're well-staffed and there's plenty of room to grow. And that was really the reason why we chose this particular facility. And in general, I'd say the way in which we're growing is through automation and scaling that way. And we're also in the process of moving a lot of our lab operations from Burlingame to Ames to really consolidate a lot of the workflows around soil biology and chemistry as well. So that's coming up in the next 12 months too for us, which is very exciting. Okay. Now I understand Trace Genomics has been invited to participate in the World Economic Forum. Can you talk about your involvement in that organization and how you're getting involved in policymaking? Sure. So they selected about 50 companies from around the world as part of this 2020 tech pioneer cohort. First of all, we're very honored to be selected as part of this cohort. It's a testament to the science and technology that we have developed at Trace and what we have accomplished so far in creating value for our customers. And it's also a testament to the opportunity that lies ahead of us, right, in terms of what can we do with the science and data? And that's where we're very excited to be part of the World Economic Forum to um, help bring together conversations around soil, shine the light on soil, focus on soil and bring key stakeholders from academia, from governments, from corporates, from nonprofit groups, really around how can we use the science. When I think about policy, it's really about what is the science and data telling us? How can we insert this ground truth science and data into every decision that all key stakeholders across the food and ag system want to accomplish, whether it's increasing production at the farm gate whether it's optimizing input usage, optimal use of fertilizers and pesticides, whether it's about clean water. There's a lot of correlation between the fertilizers and the pesticides we use and planetary health, environmental health, which includes water. It also includes climate change efforts, carbon sequestration, right? How can we learn more about carbon sequestration? There's this whole market that's coming up around carbon credits and how farmers are being compensated for carbon credits and carbon farming. And how can we really further our understanding of that space. How can we protect our soil, right? Like there's a Clean Water Act, there's a Clean Air Act. Really, what are the protections for soil around soil so that we can help our farmers grow their foods profitably, but also resiliently so that they can continue to farm 
land's their biggest asset. It's their greatest asset. How can we help them protect and safeguard that land as their asset for future generations? So there's a lot that we, through being this third-party creator of science and data, can really help further conversations around all of that. Then the last part that I didn't really touch upon is really around food and sustainability um, in terms of where does food come from, but also how does that tie in back to human health, mm-hmm. right? There's that connection with where food comes from, what mm-hmm. soil it was grown in, what nutrients it picked up from the soil, even what microbes picked up from the soil, and how does that really tie back in to human health? Great. Well, this has been really fascinating. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks very much for having us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. And we're going to be keeping our eye on Trace Genomics for sure, because I can tell you that you're going to do great things. Thanks for having us. You're welcome. Thank you. to Purnima Parmaswaran of Trace Genomics for this conversation about DNA soil testing. To listen to more podcasts about no-till topics and strategies, please visit notillfarmer.com forward slash podcasts. Once again, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Pivot Bio, for helping to make this no-till podcast series possible. If you have any feedback on today's episode, please feel free to email me at jgerlock at lessetermedia.com or call me at 262-777-2404. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or the Google Play Store to get an alert as soon as future episodes are released. You can also keep up on the latest no-till farming news by registering online for our No-Till Insider daily and weekly email updates and Dryland No-Tiller e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at No-Till Farmer with Farmer spelled F-A-R-M-R and our No-Till Farmer Facebook page. For our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm Managing Editor Julia Gerlach. Thank you for listening.